0: Talk Radio. Welcome back, you Health Renaissance people. This is going to be exciting today. Okay, we're going to talk about how gait, how you walk, and the biomechanics of your feet and legs uh, in the first part. The second part is how we get our freedoms back, and that's going to be super exciting. Now, um, all of this stuff is going to be um, played uninterrupted on the com site. So that's I'd recommend you sign up for that uh, so that you can get these PowerPoints and share them because that's truly the only way it, how we can make a difference in the world. And it's also going to be on Extreme Health Academy. Yeah, We just did a two-and-a-half-hour seminar Sunday, and that was, um, well, let's just say it was well-received. It was really exciting. But now, how did I get into to this? My history is that when I was a 30-year-old single dad, um, I was hit by a car, had both my legs broken, my sternum fractured, skull fractured, liver and heart bruised. So, um, you know, it was pretty challenging. Now, I went in, had a couple of operations, but every time they did an operation on my knees, they felt less stable. And common sense-wise, I thought, well, yeah, they're, they're not putting stuff in to make it stable. They're removing parts that they think are dead So I developed certain techniques on how to regenerate discs or meniscus. Now, number one thing, when we're looking at this, there is no way you could have a one knee symptom, um, you can have a one knee symptom, but not a one knee problem. You have to look at the whole body. So anybody that's providing, oh, say, um, uh, uh, a foot leveler or some type of orthotic without paying attention to pelvic stability or looking at disc injuries, that's a problem. And if people are fixing the low back or disc injuries and you're not addressing the biomechanics of the foot or the calf or the knee, the person is not going to get better. Now, when we're looking at the pelvis, the pelvis is just about perfect. There's no muscle that crosses the back half of it or the posterior aspect. And so that means that it's, it's, it's hard to strengthen. You've got a muscle called um, piriformis that crosses the front portion of it. So to strengthen the pelvis, you're really going to need um, a trochanter support or a belt to stabilize it. But what kind of things happen um, to the pelvis? Like if the pelvis is off, you're talking bowel and bladder control, sexual dysfunction, the sciatic nerve comes out of right inside of that pelvis area. And so that's foot biomechanics, um, knee biomechanics, walking, sitting. I mean, this, this can be huge. Plus, it also affects the autonomic function. So where, where does it come from? Well, prolonged sitting, pregnancy, medications, lack of movement can all cause it. Now, this is huge because the half of the autonomic nervous system Ported inside, well, it's living inside of the neck and the pelvis area. So anytime you have a pelvic dysfunction, you're going to have an autonomic imbalance or an autonomic challenge, and that's hugely important because that's the rest, digest, and repair. So if people have, say, one bowel movement a day, or poor sleep patterns, or anxiety, or stress, or inflammatory bowel disorders, and also when the parasympathetic the rest, digestion, repair is suppressed. The sympathetic, the fight or flight, is going to be activated. So does that mean we should look at the pelvis and the neck? If somebody has high blood pressure or type 2 diabetes or inflammatory bowel disorders, absolutely. I mean, it's called holistic, but it's just common sense. You cannot fix um, disorders that are involving stress without addressing the autonomic nervous system. I mean, that's just basic common sense because you live your life through this autonomic nervous system. And it's hugely important when you understand that that pelvis houses half of this rest, digestive, repair. So imagine this, let's say you twist an ankle and picture yourself walking. Are you walking good or do you have a bit, little bit of a limp? That limp is gonna constantly be an irritant to that that pelvic area. And that pelvic area is going to cause the biomechanics to totally change. Also, how many times have you been, you know, hurt, back pain, neck pain? When you have a back pain or a neck pain, um, and the shoulders are going to tighten up, your body's going to shift. If you have back pain, that can be a disc injury in the low back, but that's going to tighten up the muscles on either side of the spine that you don't really have conscious control over. So this is going to alter how you move, how you walk, now, let's say that you sit a lot or wear high heels or you don't stretch a lot. The, you have a muscle on the back of the calf um, that if that, if your calf can't move correctly, then you start to develop what's called a high-stepping gait or become a toe walker. Now, pelvic instability, we see this all the time. And we're talking um, in in bladder problems, sexual dysfunction, I mean a bunch, bunch of different problems. And so that's why it's really important to actually check and see what what the problem actually is. And particularly if you've ever gone to a chiropractor and let's say you went to them, you felt good for a little bit, but then you know the pain came back, there's gonna be a problem. So how do you stabilize the pelvis? Well, stabilizing it's really, really important, but most people miss that it's a problem. Because if you've ever gone to a chiropractor and they adjust your pelvis and you get a big pop and you feel better and you go home but by the time you get out of the car the pain's back well that means that they're adjusting an area that's not the primary source of the problem and always if there's a pelvis issue there's going to be a secondary disc injury in the low back and 50% of the low back issues are from the neck that's why you have got to look at the entire spine and nervous system when presenting with a lumbar issue or a pelvic issue or some type of autonomic dysfunction. And and we work with autonomic disorders all the time. I mean, virtually every patient. And in order to correct that, you have to change the gait, how they walk. You gotta stabilize the pelvis. You can do that by doing a trochanter support. But also, if you're sitting down, and you're gonna even find this, if you're sitting in a hard um, bottom chair, Put your legs out really, really wide, like a, like a ballet, plie move. And if that feels better, what you're doing is you're using your hip muscles to approximate that pelvis. And if that takes pressure off, it means the pelvis is unstable. You can also sit backwards in a chair, kind of like a cowgirl or a cowboy, where that turn that chair around and your chest is actually facing the back and both legs go on either side. Um, that's hugely important. But now when we're looking at the pelvis, the way to identify it is you've got to take stress x-rays of the lumbar in order to identify disc inju- injuries. And that's hugely important because when you look at a standard static spine, um, particularly the lumbar shot, you might be able to see some rotation, some lateral deviation, something that's not right and something that's not straight. But really, to identify how that, how that moves is you've got to take what's called a stress x-ray. And that stress x-ray means you're going to bend the body off to one side and bend it off to the other. Now, I've told numerous people to get a stress x-ray in order to um, identify disc injuries. And they'll have flexion and extension x-rays, which really don't show you much at all. And that's where a person bends forward and bends backwards. You really need lateral flexion x-rays in order to identify disc dysfunctions. Okay, now let's look at at how you walk. So if you've had long-term disc injuries, you're going to have altered nerve supply to the legs and feet. And the foot is a coiled spring. It has four arches, two going lengthways and two going crossways. Now, if you have any compromised nerve supply to the muscles inside of that foot, then you're going to start to see that big toe start to lean towards the other toes. And this is literally, um, it's going to start to look like a bunion. And the bunions are are a, a huge indicator of autonomic dysfunction. Why autonomic dysfunction? And I'm talking... Blood pressure, type two diabetes, anxiety, stress, inflammatory bowel disorders. So, if you see a bunion that's been sticking out, say, half inch to three quarters of an inch from the rest of the foot, um, you know that this person has had a pelvic injury for a while. And since the parasympathetic nervous system is located in the pelvis, or half of it is, then you can I, um, you can ask questions particularly for doctors that are, that are looking at this. How's your sleep patterns? How's your bowel movements? Because we're going to see interruptions in bowel movements to this area um, or from that area. It's kind of like if I stood on your foot or caused you pain, that would throw you into a stress state. And that stress state is hugely important uh, because this is how you survive the problem is if you're in the survival mode or the sympathetic dominant, you're not able to rest, digest, repair or get that, that system working correctly. So if there is bunion formation, know that that's uh, secondary to a disc injury in the low back. And that's so far 100% of the times that I've seen, and I'm, you know, I've seen tens of thousands of people. Now, so... Start the exam by looking at the foot. If that big toe is leaning a little bit away from the other toes, that's called normal. You won't see normal a whole bunch. Okay, but what you will see, you will see the toe going straight, which is also in the normal range. But if it's starting to bend towards the other toes, we know that there's compromised nerve supply to the intrinsic muscles of the foot. And that means that the foot is going to start to flatten out. And that's going to change the gait. So think of this. If you have a bunion formation, your foot's supposed to be a coiled spring. Do you think you have that spring ability on there? Or do you think it's always causing a problem? Absolutely. Because when you're walking, that foot is a coiled spring. It's supposed to be cushioning and guiding you. But if you have bunion formation on one foot or abnormal mechanics on both, you're going to be throwing your hip forward. You're going to be throwing your knee forward all the biomechanics are going to be completely, totally off. So you have to, if you're going to correct the discs in the low back, and this is why we pay so much attention to feet, to knees, to pelvis, to hips, everything. You ha- if you're going to correct the disc in the low back, you have to restore the normal dorsiflexion of that calf. You've got to restore the normal nerve supply to the knee. You've got to restore the normal nerve supply to the hip. And this is one of the problems when people get knee replacements or hip replacements. You're actually replacing a lot of the structures in that joint, and that changes what's called proprioception, or the brain's awareness of the body in space. And if you're changing those sensors, you're also changing the body's awareness of that area. And you need constant sensory input into the brain in order to have your brain be able to adapt correctly and that is called proprioception. But when you get the structures removed or altered, you're talking that alters the information going up to the brain. So if hip replacements can be um, avoided, that's vital for brain function. If you have to get it because of damage or degeneration, then there's, you're going to have to do some other exercises in order to get a clear um, flow of information from the feet and the knees, which are still working correctly if you've had your hips replaced, to keep that brain functioning correctly. This is why you'll see after a hip replacement or a knee replacement that commonly there's gonna be brain fog or anxiety or stress. Now bunions do not form from um, bad shoes. They come from weak intrinsic muscles of the foot. So when we're working on a pelvis, when we're working to change the gait, when we're working on lumbars, we always, always get that calf working correctly. And we'll use just a small wooden block. And this wooden block is only three and a half inches high by about 6 inches long. And this is where you put the ball of your foot on and you put your heel on the ground. And then you bend your knee. Your knee should go well over your toe but you've got to bend it for about a minute. And that bending for a minute changes the calf, changes the sensors in there, and actually gets your foot to start moving correctly. Because if you cannot put your ball to your foot on a block, heel on the ground, and bend your knee over your toe, um, you're going to start to lift your leg in order to compensate for that lack of lifting of the foot. And that's going to cause a pelvis trauma. Let me repeat that again. If, if your foot should lift up off the floor, and that's called dorsiflexion, if you've had long-term problems with the low back, the foot is going to be flattening out, there's going to be bunion formation, um, there's going to be loss of dorsiflexion or lifting of that foot. If you do not correct that, you are going to be destabilizing your pelvis. And this is going to be a huge problem if you're talking about Um, digestion function, if you're talking about sleep patterns, if you're talking about um, how your body can regenerate itself, blood sugar issues, inflammatory bowel issues, because all of those dysfunctions are autonomic stressors. And so we really have to change the influence of how you walk on earth in order to maintain that. So the -the foot-on-the-block stretch is going to be huge knowing that there's a pump in the back of the of the calf called the soleus, if that pump has not been working correctly, then for sure there's going to be knee issues. Now the knee joint is hydraulic. It's actually um, has a superfiltrate, a blood in there called synovial fluid. And that synovial fluid is amazing because it literally cushions that knee joint and allows that knee joint to flex and and function correctly. If there's lack of fluid in the joint, then you have instability and also, you have decreased nutrients to the cartilage because that's where cartilage gets its, um, its nutrients so it can regenerate. And that is one of the things that most doctors don't know. They don't know that cartilage and meniscus can actually regenerate. And the reason they don't know it is because of their medical procedures. I mean, if you pr- provide um, pain relief through a non-stortile anti-inflammatory, and there's going to be Motrin, Advil, Leave, any of those chemicals, they inhibit the building block of cartilage, proteoglycan pro- pro- production. So that's hugely a problem because you're, if you take an Advil, Motrin, or Leave, or any non-stortile anti-inflammatory, uh, you're talking this destroys the building blocks of cartilage. So this is why most doctors never see a change or regeneration of cartilage because typically they're going to be prescribing a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory to destroy that. So if you want to stabilize your pelvis, if you want to look for autonomic dysfunction, if you want to um, get rid of the bunions, you've got to start from the top down. And that means that you've got to look at um, the disc injuries on the low back, the pelvis and position of the ribcage area. You've got to look at the biomechanics of the knee, and you've got to look at the foot flattening out. Now, I always start from the bottom up. If I see bunion formation, I know to ask about um, bowel movements and sleep patterns. And if you see somebody that has a massive bunion, but they still have um, three bowel movements a day, they're taking something. They're taking Metamucil or something to help their gastric motility or their diet is like perfect. So that's very unusual to see that um, and unless they're also adapting to that stress state where they're going to have diarrhea or loose stools. Uh, when we're looking at biomechanics of the knee, now we're going to show a couple of exercises to start. So one of the exercises for the calf is you're going to put your foot on a block, and it's only three and a half inches, it's called a four by four, heel on the ground, and bend your knee, and hold it one minute, um, twice a day. That stretching there will change the stretch of the ligament, and literally within a month, you'll see your knee go over your toe, and that's going to alter how you walk. When you stabilize the pelvis with a trochanter support and start sitting backwards in a chair or when you sit in a hardback chair, you let your legs have, go over to the side. That will change sitting into therapy. We also recommend using a water bottle or a foam block to be placed at the junction of the rib cage and low back um, for 20 minutes in, 10 minutes out, in order to take the pressure off of that thoracolumbar junction. It also creates a negative pressure on the discs in the low back allowing that disc material to move from where the nerve is up to the front to where it's more of a supporting structure. And there's also ways to check for patellar tracking, and that's the kneecap. And I'm going to go over all of that stuff today and some of the other things that you can you can do. Now, this next part um, we're going to call, this is the censored part. Now, this is how to get your freedoms back now, and, and I'm telling you, I've just found out about this about two months ago, and there is has been a movement for the last 20 to 30 years to get our freedoms back. Now, if you grew up, okay, in a country and you thought that you had certain rights that couldn't be separated from you, and these were called inalienable rights and where you could have freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, except for censorship on social media. If you thought that those rights could not be taken from you, but then all of a sudden the government, which is supposed to be responsible for protecting your rights, is now wipe those rights out, um, th- are you aware that that happened? And you might say, well, yeah, because, um, well, um, you might say because, Uh, we needed it, or we were in trouble, or there was an emergency. No, I'm sorry, that's not in the Constitution. If there's war, if there's an emergency, if there's anything, those rights cannot be taken away from you. Imagine your business labeled essential or non-essential, churches closed, schools closed, face masking healthy people, which has never been done, beaches closed, parks closed. Now, this is supposed to be our country, and the government took this over. Um, We are going to take that back, and I'm going to show you how to do it. Now, you might be uh, curious. Um, I'm going to show you how to change your political status. And changing your political status, you might wonder, well, why? Well, you're going to change it from U.S. citizen, which means that you are part of the federal government and part of a corporation, not based in the states. You will not be a U.S. citizen. You will be an American citizen. Now, this is huge to understand, and we're going to get into a lot of the details on this tonight. But I encourage you to go to the American. There it is. The AmericanStatesAssembly.net. That's the American States, plural, Assembly.net, and you're going to learn some things there that are um, just mind-blowing. Um, now, if you wondered, okay, now this is out of a 1993 federal decision, Jones v. Temer. Now, you might think that our Bill of Rights is protected and that you're a citizen of the United States. Well, the way that the country works, and this goes um, way back to 1779, when when we won the war or independence from the Britain. There were a lot of people that did not support the war effort, and they wanted to maintain their loyalties to the king and queen, um, to Prussia, to the pope. They had certain loyalties that they didn't want to give up. So the government passed an act in 1779 to designate these people as U.S. citizens, United States citizens, not state citizens, Because United States, each state is like an independent nation. They have their own rights, their own laws, everything else. Now, they're supposed to be under the Bill of Rights. Um, But here's this one decision, and I want you to um, listen to this because it's going to be enlightening. Quote, the Privileges and Immunities Clause of the 14th Amendment protects very few rights because it neither incorporates any of the Bill of Rights nor protects all rights of individual citizens. Instead, this provision protects only those rights peculiar to being a citizen of the federal government, it does not protect those rights related to state citizenship. Okay, so right there, it's a little spark to have you look into uh, the difference between a citizen of the federal government versus a citizen of the state. Now, if you look at um, states, states are laid out in counties. Counties are run by the sheriff, and the sheriff has the ultimate power. Now, the way America was originally designed is that each one of these counties were going to get together to run the state. And in fact, a sheriff of the county, they have the ultimate authority. They can kick out the FBI, the CIA, everything. And this is what I thought was unique, that at the start of the pandemic, When they had all these restrictions coming in, the the sheriffs were standing up saying, look, I'm not going to ask people for their papers. The sheriffs were standing up trying to protect the rights and preserve the Constitution. I didn't know that this was based on the state level. If you're a citizen of the state, you have certain rights. If you're a citizen of the federal government, you do not have those rights. So this is how you change those rights, and that's huge. Uh, now we're going to go in uh, to the americanstatesassembly.net now i encourage you to join um look at the americanstatesassembly.net and and look at the chapter in your area now i'm going to read a couple of th- this their purpose quote our purpose is to reestablish the california republic and to be responsible trustees for the california trust and a leader within the American Assembly for the people on California and the United States of America. Now, I'm reading this from the California one. Okay, so they have each state, and there's over 30 million people around the world that have changed their status from U.S. citizen to state, or to American citizen. Now, they are, our California Assembly is dedicated to quote, the repopulation of our land and soil jurisdiction and the filling of our vacated public offices. That's right. Now, you're going to be registering under land and soil, and you'll see there are so many things that you did not know. Like in 1871, there was literally an act that formed the federal government has a corporation, of corporation, and the federal government literally Has been incorporated since then, so that the what the the government is doing is not for the benefit of the state. Okay, but I know it gets complicated. But just just listen to this part. Okay, we have a bill of rights. The bill of rights, all the states signed up for. Okay, the right of freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of religion. Okay, that's kind of what our constitution was based in. And the authority of that is based on the state level and it's supported through the county level. So it all starts on the individual in the counties that have to be responsible. This is why you have to join your local chapter. This is why when you get somebody in the federal government saying you have to wear this mask or you have to close your business or you have to do anything that's against the Constitution, you can thumb your nose at them. Okay? They literally do not have authority. It's like the crazy person on the street telling you to put rabbit ears on, okay? The crazy government official telling you that you can't walk on the beach, okay? You will have your own ID through this. You will have your own, you will be called a sovereign citizen where you're living with God, our country, our, our state's assembly, um, our Bill of Rights, where these literally cannot be taken away from you. And with the research that I've done so far, this is not only legitimate, but people have been doing it for 20 to 30 years. Um, there's a weekly conferences, I think it's on Monday and Thursday night, uh, that I encourage you to get on. But we have, the way that this works is that we take back our rights. You cannot be passive and do this. If you're passive, the government is going to run, run your world. And it's been said before in the past that you're going to take charge of your life if not somebody else will take charge of it for you and that's the status that we're in right now so we have literally got to take back our world take back our 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 rights and we could do it by starting at the american the american states net now um, their values they have up there at, Every Wednesday at 6 p.m., they have town hall meetings. They're open to everyone. Um, I encourage you to look at that one, and that's the California Assembly. There may be different ones at different assemblies, Uh, but you've got to take this back. The federal government um, is not designed to uphold the Bill of Rights. That is why they're taking all of the rights away from us. The state's assembly will get it back, but our state governments now are not going. They're, they're unconstitutional. Their laws are unconstitutional. Um, I mean, you know that, that in California they closed the churches but left the gun stores, liquor stores, and Costco open. That is not based in science. That's not based in anything. We've got to take our world back, and this is the way that we can do it. Are you with me? Are you with me? Let's get on there, American States Assembly, and we're going to make a difference. God bless you, and I love you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Haha, in my dentist's office.